Well, I am really excited for you to get to hear our speaker uh, this weekend. Some of you have heard Bill Page before. We've had him here. Uh, it's been a, a few years, and uh, we've also invited Bill. He has spoken to our high school uh, camp, the MEA Getaway up at Castaway. Uh, and uh, the, the one thing I think you'll find with Bill is uh, he is he is just a, a ball of energy, and uh, we're just so excited. Every time I, I talk to Bill, it seems uh, I, I call him up and I'm say, I said, "Bill, where are you?" He says, "Well, I'm in Italy, or I'm over here, or I'm over." Uh, he's traveling all over, speaking uh, around the world. Uh, we're just so blessed that he could be with us here. Uh, Bill is on staff with Young Life. Uh, he's been doing that for for many years. Uh, he is a former uh, police officer. I'm sure he'll tell uh, a little bit about that. Uh, so he's he's seen a lot of different things, uh, but but most of all, what he is passionate passionate about is how God is working in our lives and working in His life. And from our conversation this morning at breakfast, I, Bill, I think that song was perfect. Uh, so would you help me right now to welcome Bill Page and buckle up, everybody? Here he comes. Good morning. Good morning. I uh, count it an honor to have an opportunity to come back here regardless of the weather. Um, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It just seems like I, I've said to the Lord, like, God, are you punishing me by sending me to uh, Bernard? And because two days ago, it was 95 degrees in Africa where I was. And then and in the back of my mind, I'm going like, you know where you're going. <laughs> and when I got here, I wasn't surprised. Um, if somebody would have said, hey, Bill, what do you do for a living? Matter of fact, let's just try to say, hey, Bill, what do you do for a living? I hang out with people and I keep it real with them and I ask them to keep it real with me. Amen? Amen? Now, how many of you want me to be real this week? Raise your hands. If I'm willing to be real, how many of you are willing to be real? Uh, we're going to find out in a little while. Okay. Um, how do I want to do this? Let's do it this way. Okay. How many of you are first timers? First time coming? Okay. So this is your first time. Now, how many of you... This isn't your second, this isn't your first time, but this is the first time you've ever heard me speak. Wow. Okay, it's probably going to be a little bit different than what you're used to at your church. Amen? Okay. Um, there's a scripture in the Bible. It says, cease them with lying and tell your neighbor the truth. I think that's God's way of saying to us, be real with each other. And in the Phillips translation, it goes on to say, because we're not separate units, but intimately united in Christ. Amen? Okay, and then there's, I'm going to have you, I'm going to, I'm going to ask some of you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands about the sin that's in your life. Okay, look at the person next to you, say neighbor. neighbor. Don't act like you don't have sin in your life. Okay. I saw one woman do this. Like, <laughs> You might not want to sit next to your husband or your wife during this talk. Um, but James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another, then pray for each other that you could be healed. I think that's God's way of saying it. If you got stuff... He doesn't say don't have it. He preferred that we didn't, but he knows we do. He says confess it, pray about it, and then we can move on through prayer. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let me see how real you're going to be. Here we go. Just raising your hands. How many of you have found out life is a lot more difficult than you thought it was going to be? How many of you have found out serving Jesus is a lot more difficult than you thought it was going to be? How many of you find yourself doing stupid stuff every once in a while? How many of you do stupid stuff? You know it's stupid, and you do it anyway. <laughs> Say neighbor. neighbor. What in the ham sandwich is the matter with you? <laughs> okay. Now, 
here's the hard question. How many of you, and we, and we won't limit it to our, rela our relationship with the Lord, how many of us have ever found ourselves, we've done something, our attitude about it is like, oh my God, I hope no one ever finds out I did that. How many of us have one of those in our lives? Okay. Look at your neighbor, say neighbor. Oh, I won't be telling you about it either. Okay. But there, there's some real there. Now, here's what I see from, from having a peace shirt. I was a police officer. I, I see a lot of stuff. So I've watched some of you. Some of you haven't raised your hand one time. And I'm going like, what's up with that? Okay. And in the hood, we call that fronting. Fronting is acting like you got it all together, but you know you don't. And I had locked a young man up one day before I get into my story. And I wasn't thinking. I was in my office. I was a detective. And I turned my back on this kid. And when I, I forgot I left my gun laying on the desk. And when I turned around, he has my gun. He's pointed it at me. So I said, man, put the gun down. Put the gun down. Now, that's how I looked on the outside. But on the inside, <laughs> And by God's grace, he put the gun down. And in the words of Mr. T, I beat that boy like a drum. <laughs> so, so. In Jesus' name, because the Bible says, whatever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. Say neighbor. No camcorders back in those days. <laughs> All, right. All right, so um, I'll just share a little bit about my own life. Uh, born and raised in New York City, grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family. Anybody here have some drama in their families growing up? Okay. Uh, my mom was involved in organized crime. I don't realize it's organized crime until many years later when I began to investigate the mafia. And then it was like, dang, this is what mommy used to do. Uh, I was a victim of child abuse. I didn't know it was child abuse until I began to investigate child abuse when I started as a youth detective. And it was like, dang, this is what mommy used to do. And I had two cousins that lived with me, A.B. and Betty, and A.B. was the brother I never had. He was five years older than me, and I always wanted a brother, but we never had, mom and dad never had any more kids, so I considered him my brother. And I had a cousin who was 15 years older than me. Her name was Betty, and she was very uh, promiscuous growing up, so as a little boy, I saw a lot of stuff little boys shouldn't see. Uh, so I grew up in this crazy kind of wild home, so I grew up a very angry young man, went to an all-boys high school. 7,000 boys went to my high school. Uh, I, went, I met my wife while we were in high school. She went to an all-girls high school. We met on the subway, and we began dating in high school. And back in the day, uh, and I'm sure some of you can relate to this, it was called Going Steady. And uh, her, her name was Claudia. I'll never forget the first time I asked her, I said, Claudia, will you go steady with me? And she went like, no. <laughs> How many of you have ever felt rejected? Anybody here ever feel rejected? How many, you felt rejected, but on the outside, you said, I don't care, but you know you care. Okay. And so we go now a couple more dates. I asked her again, third time. So I made up my mind this time. I said, if she turns me down this time, I'll never ask her again. So I walked into a door, and I said, Claudia, will you go steady with me? And, and so she's here, and she goes, no. And so I turn away. So we'll pretend she's here. So I turn away. I said, OK. And I turn to walk away. And she says, is that all you're going to say? <laughs> but, but you got to be cool, you know? Uh, no, that is not all I'm going to say. <laughs> and we began eventually going steady. And last October, we had been married for 45 years. And, uh, Say neighbor. neighbor. He can't be that old. Okay. And, uh, but back to high school, as soon as football season ended my senior year of school, I quit school. And I began running the streets and hanging out with a crew that was doing some pretty bad stuff, murders and bank robberies and all this. And I started gravitating into that direction. So I joined the military to keep from going to jail. Uh, finished high school in the military, got out of the military in 69 in 1970. I became a police officer. And they gave me a gun, they gave me a badge, they gave me tremendous authority, the authority to take your life, the authority to take your freedom but I had no power in my life. And as a result of not having any power in my life and not having a relationship with Jesus, I began to abuse this authority. And then I began to deal with some of the hurt and pain in my life through alcohol and drugs. I got strung out on drugs. I made detective very early. I was on a SWAT team. I was living this dual life. 
but my life was slowly spiraling out of control. I think the first day in my whole life I ever really got real, I was watching television, December 26, 1980, 2.45 in the afternoon, and the guy on television asked two questions. And it was almost like he was in my house. And he pointed to the screen and he goes, are you a sinner? And I said, yeah. He said, you know Jesus? No, say neighbor. Amen. You know you have issues if you get an attitude with the television. <laughs> and uh, he said, call this number, 800 number flashed on the screen. And it was almost like he did the Jedi mind trick on me, like call this number. And I walked to the phone and, <laughs> and I called this number and a man explained to me the incredible love of Jesus Christ. And I prayed with that man on the phone and I received Christ into my life. And I was completely set free from drugs and alcohol and filled with a joy and peace I had never had before. Claudia was out shopping. She comes home from shopping. I meet her at the door. And I said, Claudia, this is the new me. Jesus came into my life. I'm born again by the Spirit of God. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm a new creation in, life, in Christ. Because that's all the stuff that man told me on the telephone. So look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, hey, neighbor. Whatever, you do, whatever you do, never say stupid stuff to a black woman. <laughs> and uh, Claudia went just like this. Yeah, right. And she thought God was going to kill me because I was incorporating him in one of my schemes. And instead of killing me, he saved her and saved my children and saved my dad at 83 years old. And I went back to work a different police officer and I stayed on the police department 10 more years. And uh, I hated being a detective. I hated going to work in a suit and tie. Uh, I liked chasing bad guys and I was real good at it. And I want to share this thing that happened because I think it pertains maybe even to your children. I think you need to take notice about this. Uh, there I was, I, I transferred into a street crime unit. In street crime, you go to work in jeans and sneakers, wear your baseball hat backwards, ride around just looking for knuckleheads. Uh, I, I want to write a book, it's going to be called Hope on a Rope, Lifelines for Knuckleheads. First line in that book will be, there are only two kind of people in the world, knuckleheads and people who think they're not knuckleheads. <laughs> Look at your neighbor say, neighbor. I think he just called you a knucklehead. <laughs> and if we're being real, how many of us can realize that we are knuckleheads from time to time? Okay. So uh, I, I was in street crime, I was the oldest guy in the unit, and uh, I, I was like a little boy in a toy store. By this time I had been called to the ministry, uh, I was a chaplain at a treatment center for emotionally disturbed children, and I had this dream in June of 1990. In this dream I was on my way to speak to kids. And let me just share this with you, I speak to thousands of kids each year, I ask kids this. I said, do most adults feel positively or negatively about you? I want you to answer me out loud. Out of the thousands and thousands of kids I've spoken to, I've never heard one kid say positively. Now, unfortunately, they're wrong because there are people who do feel positively about them, but as far as they're concerned, they don't think so. And so a lot of kids walk around with a negative attitude, and sometimes we reap the whirlwind of what they're feeling on the inside. Amen? Amen. And so, uh, so here I was. I was in this unit. I was happy as could be. Go home one night. I remember saying to God, I'm never going to leave the police department now. And uh, I had this dream. And in this dream, I'm on my way to speak to kids. And I'm walking down the street on the double yellow line at 725 in the dream. I have to speak at 730. And uh, as I come down the street, I come to this very modern-looking school building. And I realize a crime is going to be committed there, and I want to catch the bad guys. And so I'm kind of caught in the middle. I want to catch the bad guys, but I also want to speak to kids. And so I wait a minute or two, and I'm looking up and down the street, and no one comes. And I cross the street, and I go into an auditorium. And in this auditorium, there are thousands and thousands of kids, from the whitest kid to the blackest kid, from the richest kid to the poorest kid, and every other kind of kid in the middle. And, uh, but they were close to me as you are, but you couldn't see them. And in the dream, the Lord showed me these are kids who are seated in darkness, who have not been illuminated by the light of Jesus Christ. And the people who invited me to speak were mad because I got there at the last second, and so I said, I gotta go. And I ran out the building because I wanted to catch those bad guys. And two guys come down the street and they begin to break into the school. Uh, they're in a car, one guy puts a, a ladder up on the second story, he's a burglar. 
A burglar is a thief, and Jesus says the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But he says of himself, but I come that you would have life, and life like you've never had it before. So I'm peeping from behind this wall, and the guy sees me, and he calls out my name, and the guy jumps off the ladder, they get the car, and they take off. And in the dream, I'm jumping up and down, and I can't catch him, and I look at my watch, and it's 7.30. And so I turn to go speak to these young people, and God speaks to me in a teenager's voice. I cannot explain that, but this voice comes out of nowhere. It's a teenager's voice, but I know it's God. And he says, do you want to be a police officer, or do you want to be a minister and tell kids about Jesus? And I was already doing both, and I said, I want to tell kids about Jesus. And I went inside, and I began to speak to these young people. And I woke up. And I turned over in bed, and I woke Claudia up. And I said, I quit today. I went to work that day, and I gave him my badge. I gave him my gun. I said, I'm out. And I've never, ever looked back. And since that time, God, by his incredible grace, has allowed me to go everywhere to tell kids about Jesus. There's an enemy that's coming after our children today. And parents, I would encourage you to take heed and to protect your children and speak truth into their life and to speak it in the spirit of God and to speak it in the love of God so they will know that you're just not lording over them more or less, but you really do care about them and speak and train them up in the, in the way that it should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's get into the word of the Lord. And uh, I'm not going to hold you long today. How many of you would like to go? How many of you have some things in your life you would love to have God change? Anybody here? How many of you have ever prayed this prayer? Lord, I know I told you I wouldn't do that again, but I did it again. Please forgive me again. How many of us have prayed that prayer? How many of us have prayed that prayer way too many times and we've been waiting for the lightning bolt to come down from heaven? Anybody? Okay. In the book of Job, God says, do you know where I keep the lightning bolts? You know what? I read that. I was like, I knew he was holding those things. Was up there. So just a thought. Um, how many of you ever had a, a what was I thinking day? Anybody ever had that? Okay. Look at your neighbor. Say neighbor. You weren't thinking, okay? And so here, God, I would really believe, would probably want all of us to go home a different way. Uh, in the book of Ezekiel, the 46th chapter, the ninth verse, here's what it says. And when the people come into the Lord's house on the feast day to worship, let those who enter the north gate leave through the south gate, and those who come through the south gate, let them leave through the north gate. Let no one leave through the gate in which they came. I think that's God's way of saying when you come and as we did before, we sing songs and we hear songs sung to us and, and we hear the word of the Lord and we pray, we get an opportunity to go home a different way. Probably every single one of us in this room needs to go home a different way. There's probably something that God wants to change in your life and in my life. And the Bible says that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That the moment Christ comes into our life, God steps into our life and he begins to unpack the bag that we bring with us. How many of us have some baggage? Okay. And so, matter of fact, let's just do this. Put your 3D, your 3D spiritual glasses. They will permit you just for a moment to look into the spirit realm. Everybody put your 3D glasses on. Okay, now look your neighbor up and down. Say neighbor. neighbor. Oh, you got a lot more baggage than I thought you had. Okay. So, and, and that's okay. I, I, I think the moment that we come, God begins to unpack that bag. Unfortunately, for myself, I know, he's taking stuff out of one side, I'm putting stuff back in the other side. But in the meantime, he says, I'm going to perform what I've started, that God never starts something that he doesn't finish. And he came, he, he called us into his family. Here's what Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. What an incredible verse, because I don't get it. I don't understand why God would want me in his family. I'm not going to fight him about it. But the fact that he would choose me. 
And, and when it comes to my life, and let me just share this. When I first gave my life to the Lord, I was in the Pentecostal church and kind of prided themselves on spirituality, speaking in tongues, the gifts of the spirit. And what I saw in that church as I look back on it now that I'm out of it, we focus far more on spiritual gifts than spiritual issues. So you could be spiritually gifted and have all kind of crazy stuff going on in your life. Matter of fact, put your spiritual glasses on again. Let me get up here. Now look me up and down. Say neighbor. neighbor. Bill got a lot more stuff in his life than I thought too. <laughs> okay, so you'll know. But one of the things that I saw that nobody ever talked about their stuff. Nobody ever shared that they were broken. They never shared the issues and the struggles that they were having. And I knew I was having these struggles. And so Jesus worked for everybody else, but it wasn't really working for me. And I tell you this today, by us not sharing our lives, we do each other a disservice. Because there are people thinking there's nobody as messed up as I am. How many of you have ever thought something along those lines? Like, they seem to got it, they have it together, but I don't really have it together. Anybody ever think that? Raise your hand straight up in the air. Now look around the room. Say, neighbor. I thought I was the only one. Okay, because the enemy is good. And so God says, I don't want you to be ignorant of his devices. The story I'm going to share with you today, I love it. And, and you know, and Pete, Pete has heard me say this, but my favorite character in the Bible, other than Jesus, is Peter. Peter is the knucklehead of the disciples. What I love about him, he always keeps it real. He's not always right, but he keeps it real. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor. neighbor. If Peter's in heaven... Oh, you got a chance to get in, too. <laughs> and every time you see him, he's at the pearly gates with that book. Decide who's going to get in. Now, that's not biblical, but you know what I'm saying? But I would love to step to him one day, and then he would say to me, Bill, why should we let you in? My attitude would be, how you get in? Okay, and so, <laughs> so I'm hoping it's a cartoon, because I don't want to get up there. Oh, you thought you were funny, didn't you? <laughs> okay, just, okay, sorry. All right, All right say neighbor. neighbor. For Bill's sake... You need to lighten up just a little bit. <laughs> How many of us realize there's some cultural differences in the races? Anybody realize that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, let me just share this. Uh, in the Asian culture, the Asian culture is an honor-based culture. And it really is a lot about keeping face. And so I had to speak at an all-Chinese, very large Chinese church up in Vancouver. And they had never heard me speak. They heard about me, so I was invited. So their leadership said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to have your kids raising their hands and confessing their sins. He says, our kids don't do that. I said, we'll see. Because sometimes when you are like that, you're constrained. You're like, oh. you want to be able to say something. And so to give those kids the freedom to talk about their brokenness and the issues and the struggles in their lives, those kids were literally breaking their arms, throwing them up in the air. It was almost like, I can confess something and nobody's going to yell at me about it. It was like unbelievable. And so we want to be free. We're not going to talk about your deep, dark stuff for those of us that have that kind of stuff. So look at your neighbor say this with, with seriously. Say, neighbor, I can handle your laundry, but keep your underwear to yourself. There we go. Okay, here we go. Just a thought. Okay, here we go. In the book of Luke, in the fifth chapter, uh, let me just say this. When I read the Bible, for me, it turns into a movie because I'm visual, and I really believe that God has given us his word to paint some very clear pictures of what was going on in that day. And so we hear some things about Jesus. Jesus, who? Jesus the God-man, 100% God, 100% flesh, human rather, 
wrapped up in this human body. The Bible says no man ever spoke like he spoke. The Bible says when he spoke, he spoke with authority. He didn't speak as like the religious leaders did. Religious in this context, people who thought they knew what God was like and they didn't have a stinking clue. Look at your neighbor say, neighbor. I can't stand people like that. <laughs> and you know what? It was people like that who couldn't stand Jesus. And it was people like that who would ultimately call for his death. He was in the world and the world was made by him, yet and still the world did not recognize him. When it came to changing the lives of men and women, people would step back and they would say, we've never seen anything like that before. When we were coming up yesterday, Barb and I and, and Anna, we were talking about some of the things that Jesus said. We were talking about the way uh, sinners and tax collectors who were classified as real sinners wanted to be around him. Like why did people who were so much unlike Jesus want to be around him? Why did he want to be around them? I really feel because they could sense the love. And so today we live in a world where this world wants to have nothing to do with the people who represent that same Jesus, who that same Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. Something's broken. And I really believe that the way that God has chosen to reveal himself to this world that's dying is through you, through me. I don't get that. I would have chosen a different way to go, but this is the way God has chosen to redeem the world for people to get a glimpse of Jesus in your life. Amen? Amen. Okay, so here, let's just go back to the beginning. Here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes. And if you can pinpoint the day that you became a follower of Jesus. Now, if you can't, maybe for some of you, maybe you were born and raised in the church. And all of a sudden, I think if you took to the 12 disciples and you said to them, hey, what day did you get saved? I don't think they could probably pinpoint a day. They might be able to pinpoint a day of Pentecost when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and all those things. But I, I think it just became a part of the progression of hanging out with him for three and a half years. But maybe for some of us, maybe it was in church, maybe it was at a camp setting, maybe you went to Young Life, maybe you heard your pastor preach a message and one day you responded to the call. We hear about this and I wanna, I make this clear, I know it's kinda like a play on words, but you know, we always talk about, I gave my life to Jesus. That's not biblical. He came to it, he gives his life to you. You and I really have nothing to offer the Lord. He's got everything to offer us. He came to his own. They did not receive him. Whoever received him to them, he gave the authority to become the sons and daughters of God. Amen? Amen. So it's God giving his life to you. It's like the great exchange. and You can let him have that stuff that's left over. And so uh, here, as you close your eyes, I want you to think about what you were like the day before you gave your life to the Lord. You've heard my story for me, strung out on drugs, an alcoholic, an adulterer, violent, angry, abusive to my wife and my children, crazy as a police officer. And then this Jesus shows up. Okay, you can open your eyes. That, that, that Bible verse, before I go into the word of God, Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, but Isaiah 6 says it this way. Now that's not where we're going to go. It's just about going home a different way. The Bible says in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah went up to the temple. And when he walks into the temple, guess who's there? God. Can you imagine if you came in here today and Jesus was here? How many of you believe if you had an encounter with Jesus, you're going to go home a different way? Raise your hand if you think that would happen. Okay? So he, he shows up. And by the way, let me ask this question. How many of you have ever gone to church and you heard a message and you said, oh, so-and-so needed to be here to hear that? How many people have ever done that? 
No, hands straight up in the air if you've ever done that. Okay, but if they weren't there, I wonder who God was talking to. Just a thought. Husbands and wives, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, how many, even how, many, how many of you ever sat next to somebody, you were like, oh, I hope he's listening to this. I hope she's listening to this, you know, that kind of thing. Well, here, Isaiah shows up at the temple. He sees the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. His trains fill the temple. Seraphim are flying around with six wings. Two, they cover their eyes. Two, the lower parts. And the other two, and, and they're, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. The power of their voices shook the very doorpost. And Isaiah realizes he's in the presence of God. No one has seen God and lived. And he gets real. Woe is me. I am a man undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And because he dares to be real in the presence of God, God sends one of the seraphim holding a live coal with tongs and puts it to his mouth and says, your sin is forgiven. And then God says, who will go for me? Who shall we send? Here I am, Lord, send me. Because God has done something incredible in his life. Trust me on this. Isaiah went home a different person that day. I think about when he got home, if he's married, honey, honey, you ain't gonna believe what happened down at the temple. She gets closer to smell his breath, make sure he hasn't been drinking, and she hears this incredible story. And God takes him and empowers him to write more things about Jesus in the Old Testament than anyone else did. He went home a different way. Say, neighbor, make sure you go home a different way. So here's what it says. Now, God shows up himself. Isaiah wrote the word, for the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. One of his names would be Emmanuel, God with us. God shows up one day in the person of Jesus, disguised as a human being. And he goes out and he begins to change the world. One day, people were crowding closely around Jesus to hear God's message. As he stood on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, Jesus noticed two boats drawn up on the beach, for the fishermen had left them while they were cleaning their nets. I want to stop right there. So here's Jesus. He's out doing his God thing. He's out sharing. He's out touching people. He's healing folks. But more importantly, he's just preaching the word of God. And I think he's being followed. This crowd is coming. He's just talking to everybody. And all of a sudden, now he's backed up to the lake, and there's no place else to go. He looks over here and he sees two boats drawn up on the beach. The fishermen had left them while they were cleaning their nets, really clean. They were sewing their nets back together. Something had torn their nets up. He goes over and he steps in one of the boats, which belongs to Simon Peter. Yo, Pete. Okay, Bill Page translation. Yo, Pete, let me use your boat. So Peter drops what he's doing, comes over. He says, push out a little bit from, from the shore so I can teach the people. In Luke 5, it doesn't tell us what he talked about that day. So maybe for the purpose of this talk, that talk wasn't for you. It was only for those people on the beach and Peter. And he sits down and he teaches and he turns the beach into an amphitheater. And uh, he, he's, just, he's just preaching God's word. Wow. I think of all the time, well, like, would I have loved to have hung out with Jesus for the three and a half years that the disciples did? How many people have ever thought that way? Like, oh, I wish I could have been there. Anybody? Here's, but here's what Jesus says to you and me. The same thing he says to Tom. He says, Tom, you know what? You believe all this stuff because you've seen it. Here's what he says about you and I. Well, more blessed are you who believe who have never seen it. That God puts us in a bigger boat or a better boat even than the folks that hung out with him. And so then there comes a point that he, he, he takes the crowd and he says, okay, you all can go home now. 
And then he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, move out a little bit further into deep water for a catch. And as I said, Peter keeps it real. Now, I don't know, uh, maybe he's been listening to this sermon and maybe it's got a cling of authority and there's a ring in it. I like being around this guy. I can listen to this guy. He's not beating people up. He's not talking down to people. The only problem he ever had was with religious people, never with sinners and knuckleheads. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you and Jesus would have got along well. (laughs) Maybe me more so than anyone. He said, move out a little bit further for a catch. Now, he had been fishing all night long. And he gets real. He tells Jesus this. Lord, we fished all night long. But nevertheless, because you say do it. Very important words. Nevertheless, because you say do it. I'll do it. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, you and I need to do it. Not to think about it, but to do it. But I wonder what he's thinking. Come on, man. We don't fish this time of day. We fished all night long. Everybody knows, everybody knows you don't go fishing now. I mean, I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter, duh. (laughs) But he doesn't say any of that. He says, nevertheless, because you say do it, I'll do it. And so they move out a little bit further from the shore. To me, this is just awesome. He takes his net, I, 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 I would think this way. His eyes probably went like this. Jesus, though, he went like this. <laughs> then a little tug. Oh, all of a sudden, the lake is alive. So many fish. He pulls the net. It is filled with fish. It fills his boat with fish. The other disciples, he calls to them. Not, matter of fact, it doesn't say he called to them. They. Jesus is excited, too. I always say to myself, how does Jesus do this? He's the God of the universe. Let there be fish. <laughs> then there they are. James, John, Andrew, come over. They come over with their boats. And the same thing happens. It is the greatest day of their fishing life. I wonder what he's thinking. Jesus and Peter Fishing Company. Yeah. <laughs> Cha-ching. He's thinking bling, bling. He's thinking of all the things he could buy maybe. Little Gucci yarmulke, <laughs> Rolex sundial, Tommy Hilfiger tuna, Air Jordan sandals, BMW chariot with the spinners. Look at your neighbor, say neighbor. Bill thinks Peter's a black man. So, 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 so the deal is this. Just trust me, I'm gonna make fun of all kind of races while I'm here, all right? Okay, so. And then something incredible happened. And he takes himself and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. You know what's at the feet of Jesus? The Bible said the boat was so filled it was at the point of sinking. A bunch of stinking, nasty, flapping fish. But he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And like Isaiah, he gets real. And he says to him, get away from me. I'm sinful. I think that what's unspoken here is like, man, if you really knew who I was, if you really knew what was going on in my life, you wouldn't want to hang out with me. This verse in this last year has taken on tremendous meaning for me. Get away from me, I am sinful. And it is though Jesus doesn't hear a word he says. Put your neck down. Come on. Follow me. 
and I will teach you to catch men. And on the greatest day of his fishing life, he drops everything to follow Jesus. What doesn't Jesus say? Repent, you sinner, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I think back to that phone call, December 28th, 26th, rather, 1980. That man never told me to change anything. That man said, come, Bill. Come just like you are. And Peter came just like he was. And if we were there and we had spiritual glasses, he's carrying some kind of bag on his back. But it didn't bother Jesus. You know what I think also? I don't think he had the slightest idea that Jesus meant forever. Maybe it was Friday. No work on Saturday. I can hang out with this guy for a while. But he drops everything to follow Jesus. As we're here, what is God asking you to put down? What's getting in the way of your relationship with him? What's getting in the way of my relationship with him? Just know this as I minister to you, God has to speak to me before he speaks through me. So I didn't come here to talk down to anybody. We're all on a level playing field. There are things that God wants me to leave here. Now, incredible things happened in my heart and in my life while I was in Africa. And I left a lot of baggage in Africa, but the bag's not empty. God says, come on, let's hang out. I've got something I want to teach you. He's got something he wants to teach you. Are you and I willing to learn? The root word for a disciple is a learner. God wants us to learn some stuff. And we learn stuff by hanging out with him. We learn stuff by reading his word. We learn stuff by spending time in prayer. We learn stuff by being real with each other. As we become iron sharpening iron, so one man's countenance and woman's sharpens another. Let's go home different. Let's let the Lord do something incredible in our lives. And we'll talk more about this. Going home different and staying different is two different things. I've gone home from many conferences different. Staying different was a whole other story. But God wants to do something, and he wants you to leave something here. And we won't get specific right now, but how many of you think in your lives you've got something that God has been asking you for to give to him? Like, you need to give me that. Anybody got one of those in their lives besides me? Raise, now, raise your hand straight up in the air. Or straight up. Not up. Okay, now look around the room. And this is a safe place. We are the sons and daughters of God. We need to learn to be real. You know what that world is looking for? You know what I see in teenagers? They're looking for something real. And we have who's real living inside of us. And the one that lives inside of us wants to reveal himself to them, to your family members, to people on your job, to people where you hang out. Somebody needs to get a chance to look at Jesus through you. Somebody needs to walk away scratching their head going, man, there's something different about him. Something special about her. And when that begins to manifest itself, here's what God's word says. You be prepared. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope 
that's inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If I have to be prepared to give an answer, somebody's going to ask a question. They won't ask a question until they see something different. Look at your neighbor. Say neighbor. Now let's go together. Say neighbor. neighbor. This talk was not for you. <laughs> Say neighbor. neighbor. I know it was for me. Okay, let's pray. Before I pray, I want you just to focus in on maybe one or two things that you really think, wow, I wish God would change this in my life. Thank you. Let me stop right here. Open your eyes. How many of you Whatever something, how many of you have something that's broken inside of you? Anybody here has got something broken? How many of you have ever tried to fix that? Anybody try to fix it? How many of us still got it? <laughs> now look at your name and say this with authority. Say neighbor. neighbor. Say it with authority. Say neighbor. neighbor. Why are you trying to do a job that wasn't meant for you to do? God did not tell you to fix yourself. God said he who began the good work in you will perform it. You and I are trying to do God's job. The only thing God really needs from us is our cooperation. All right, God, you got me. I'm coming out, hands in the air, I surrender. I tell you right now, I think when we get like that, God goes absolutely crazy. I think God goes, oh boy, is this gonna be great? <laughs> Say neighbor. neighbor. Bill thinks God is white too. <laughs> Just a thought. Father, thank you very, very much for my brothers and sisters, but more importantly, we are your sons and daughters. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here that doesn't really have a relationship with you. Maybe there's somebody here who's on the perimeter. Maybe there's somebody here who was badgered into coming here. And I pray that you would meet us all in a very special way. I pray that we would go home a different way. I pray that you would enable us and empower us to release to you the things that we have been holding on to and then we would begin to follow you. I pray, because you began this good work in us and you're gonna perform it according to your word and you're not a man that you should lie, nor the son of a man that you should repent. I pray that we will follow hard after you. I pray that we'll open our baggage up to you. I think you love it when we get real and you give grace to the humble, but you resist the proud. Bless us as a community and let us have an incredible time together. I pray that your love would flow between us in a way that we've never experienced you before. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that there would be an anointing that would destroy yokes in our lives. Help us to go home different and help us to stay different when we get there. Thank you for the examples you've given us in your word. Thanks for Pete, Lord. What an incredible encouragement he is to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, gang.